Hey everyone, thanks for checking back in. I'm gonna keep the intro short on this episode because my guest really needs no introduction. Today, I'm speaking with the great Ellie Greenwood, one of the all-time champions and legends in the history of ultra running. We found ourselves in Seattle last week. We were giving a presentation at the University of Washington in collaboration with our friends Ethan Newberry and Gary Robbins, and it gave Ellie and I a chance to sit down and talk about her career, which was really fun for me. We talk about the highs and lows of, you know, being an athlete and particularly a world beating athlete, somebody at Ellie's level who's achieved things that many of us can only dream of. And it's no secret, Ellie's also dealt with her fair share of setbacks and injuries, particularly in the last few years where her relationship with running has changed a lot. And we talk about sort of like her psychology, what it takes to be great, compare and contrast her with the great champions of other sports. And it was just a really interesting and and candid conversation. I really appreciated Ellie taking the time to sit with us. And I think you guys will really like this one. So without wasting any more time, let's get to it. The great Ellie Greenwood. Okay, Ellie Greenwood, welcome to Seattle. Here we are. Yeah. It's a fun little uh, couple days away on a gray, but pretty nice morning here. Um, it's an honor to sit with you as one of the all-time great legends of our sport, somebody who I've always admired and looked up to. Um, so why don't you first sort of like tell us what we're doing in Seattle. Tell the listeners what sort of why no. we... Why we find ourselves here. You're now traveling the country to record this podcast. <laughs> We're traveling right? circus. Like paying for people to come to different locations. Um, no, so obviously we are here in Seattle because um, we had a ginger runner evening last night with Ethan Newbury at uh, Kane Hall. Um, yeah. Along, well, you, me, you know that we yeah. were there. Uh, yeah, Ethan Newbury, I'm seeing, and obviously the delightful uh, fellow Canadian, Gary Robbins. So, yeah, it was a fun evening, right? All doing presentations. I don't know, perseverance and injury, right? It was the theme of the night. And uh, yeah, hopefully people find it. I like to go with entertaining and informative, yeah. I hope. Have you found that you've experienced just immense good vibes from the couple times that we've done this. Like for me, I just feel so good after the two events that we've done together. And you and Gary did one independently as well in Edmonton. Do you have like, I don't know, does, does, do you carry the same sort of feeling after the events? Um, yes, I'm sounding hesitant. <laughs> like, um, yeah, no, totally. Like I, I like doing things where you get to like meet the community and meet different runners all three places where we did it, like North Vancouver, Edmonton, and Seattle, I will say were quite different for various reasons. Um, yeah, and it was it was good to talk to people. Like, you know, like often you go to these things and it's all like super positive and look at me running this and running that. Yeah. And it was nice to kind of get feedback from people that they're like, oh, I could actually empathize with that because, you know, we all talked a bit about like, you know, injuries and setbacks and this kind of stuff. Um, And I think it's been cool that people have appreciated that side of things. And like I said, we tried to make it not too depressing. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, no, it's awesome. right? And it's always nice to meet different runners. No, I agree. And, you know, the 
the theme of the night being dealing with injury, setback, adversity, I think is is important and poignant for people in our sport, obviously, especially with people like you who have been like at the top of the mountain in terms of achievement in the sport to also sort of go through the stories of struggle and to understand that like, this isn't easy, right? Yeah. And, and, and like it comes at a price, right? When we do these things and we commit our lives to them and when things go wrong, right? Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say it's a pet peeve of mine, but, you know, like, it's the way the world works, right? Like, when things are going well, and it's not like, people aren't necessarily doing directly like, hey, look at me, but you see people like awesome race results, right? Or they're going to some amazing location and doing training, and you just see the sunny side of things, right? Exactly. It's the Instagramification of life. Yeah, and I think it's a little unfair to, like if people have that side of things to then also not say when things aren't going so well. And I get it. If things aren't going so well, like, no, nobody wants to go around very few people, right? You know, cause it can either be, oh, well, people think I'm negative or you just want to hide away or whatever it might be. Right. But I don't think it's, uh, the right thing to just say, Hey, look at right. my, look at my amazing results and races right. and running life. And then, oh, it's not going so well. So I'll just stay quiet. Right. Well, yeah. Because it's and, not and, a reality. And and then, you know, the the masses, right, the middle of the Packers or whoever else, right, thinks that, like, oh, like, they do have it all like this and it's perfect, right? right? And, hey, it's not. It's not, right. And I <laughs> yeah. think it's just, like, people appreciate hearing that, yeah. too. Yeah, no, they do. Because it makes things more relatable. Yeah. And yeah. it's hard for people to relate to Ellie Greenwood because you are, like, a legend of our sport. And I want to talk a lot about... I mean, I'll dispute that, but okay, Well, come on. on. I mean, you can't really... You could dispute it, but it would be disingenuous in my opinion. I mean, as somebody who's won comrades, Western States, world championship level races for 100K, among many, many other things, like that puts you in a, a rare category of individuals who have ever participated in our sport. But, you know, especially recently, you've struggled a bit. And so, you know, I kind of want to talk about... Both of those sort of starting with the the good stuff, you know, rewinding yeah, a bit, be positive. going back in time a bit, because I remember the first time that I sort of like learned who you were and, and sort of part of my talk last night is about sort of how when I was coming up in the sport in my early 20s, like all I could do was like look at race results, read blogs, you know, just yeah, kind yeah. of read and absorb as much as I could about the sport at the time. And I remember first learning who you were in 2010 after the Canadian death race. Do you remember that? Oh, so the Canadian is, death race. Yeah, yeah that so was, this was kind of funny. Yeah, 120K race. But like, I, I, the reason I remember it is because Hal Kerner won the yes. race. And you finished second overall, yeah, yeah. like not yeah, yeah. that far behind him, over 120 days. Well, days. it was far enough. And the reason yeah. I say it was funny, Dylan, yeah. okay, so... If we, uh, that prob- yeah, that would have been the longest I think I'd run at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, maybe Hal was the few years before me, then I came along, then you came along a few years later, right? So, I, okay. Yep. So I was like, ah, oh, it's Hal Kerner, right? Because he was the big name at the time, and rightly so, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, and he was obviously there. But there was a lot of other, like, 
good guys mm-hmm. there, um, you know, Canadian level mostly, yeah. right? And I remember do, coming to one aid station and they were like, Ellie, you're second overall. And I'm like, oh, but what about Phil? Oh, no, Phil's dropped out. What about Simon? No, Simon's <laughs> dropped out. And I'm like, so you're telling me. So I had this little conversation in my head just to amuse myself yeah. of imagining I'd come around the corner and catch up to Hal yeah. and like having a conversation, which was quite cute. He ended up about 50 minutes ahead of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah probably not putting in a hard effort or or not a super hard effort right Right. but yeah it was uh it was amusing if nothing else well it's wild that it's already freaking 10 years ago like i feel like when i learned you know sort of like who you were and and that part of my sort of maturation in the sport it doesn't feel like that long ago but it's crazy like just time flies and for me like looking back at your career you know, 2010 seemed to be kind of like the watershed year or like the year in which your sort of recreational exploration of the sport turned into like world domination of the sport. Does uh, it feel the same to you, like looking uh, back? I don't think I would use world domination for any year, David. But um, no, so yeah, probably, no, I think you are right. Like, obviously, like I started out, well, maybe not obviously, but like Canadian ultras, so 50Ks, 50 milers, and sure, I did great at those, but particularly back then, like, you know, most Canadian races were not, and I'm not pinning down, but not super competitive, sure. right? And then I started to do the little like, oh, maybe go to Orcas Island or go to Chuckanut, right? So yeah, you come down to Washington and there is a bit more competition, right? Right. Um, and 2010... Well, I'd done well in a 50 mile of the year before and the race director who'd represented Canada at World 100K, she said, you could come top 10 at World 100K. Mm -hmm. And I was like floored by that, right? Because I was very much the like, I'm in this for fun. And I'm like, this seems ridiculous. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try and qualify for World 100K. Um, So yeah, 2010 was the year where, um, well, I ran my first 100K, got that qualifier, then I think at some point I got invited to Canadian death race and sure okay this sounds fun and like I was pretty intimidated I'll be honest by that because it was longer and obviously like the 100k I'd done Mm -hmm. uh, to try qualify for world 100k was very flat right right? so like doing Canadian death race was this is going to be a way longer duration race and then yeah later that year I went to world 100k and um Won. And you won. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. why so, I no, It was definitely about- a year where exactly I started to probably race deeper fields, longer distances, right. actually go like, oh, I seem to be kind of okay like this. Could I be a little bit even better? Right. right. Well, and yeah. it seems like kind of a pretty profound step, right, in your evolution as an athlete, as you said, sort of going from these kind of like local races in the Northwest, you're just, you know, sort of running the table, but not necessarily against world-class competition. As you say, you sort of get the world qualifier, you race for your home country of Great Britain. And it seemed, correct me if I'm wrong, but just from your presentation last night, like Lizzie Hawker was on that team too. And so you went from basically like winning lots of races, but sort of local races and early in sort of like the development of the sport to all of a sudden you're the world champion of 100K. Did did that like, did you go into that race expecting that you could perform at that level or was it kind of a shock and like you said, sort of like make you want to f- further devote yourself to the, to the sport? Um. 
So I think there was a couple of things. Like once I found out I got selected for the GB team, it was like, oh my goodness. Like it, 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 I guess some people go, great, I'm selected. Whereas I was like, oh, that means I have to like work even harder and try and improve more, right? So it was a big incentive, right? Of like, you've got this honor to be on this team, right? Um, so yeah, I was like, okay, I've got to step it up a notch and do my best. And, and like Lizzie Hawker, I will still say is like, you know, to me, like one of my idols well, and role models. Yeah. Exactly. Like, so, and yeah, like I'd been in touch with her a little before and like that was the first time I got to meet her. Um, I mean, I do also put this down and, and, and it probably has changed, I would say a bit over, say the last 10 years. World 100K in 2010, it sounds awesome to say, I'm a world champion. <laughs> It wasn't the most competitive ultra at the time. And that's not to knock, like, there were very good runners there, right? Like, Megan Arbogast was there. I think Devin Yanko maybe was. Like, so there were, but it wasn't, even back then, you could have gone to, like, Western States or a whole bunch of other races where probably, actually, the level of competition was higher. In part because over a lot of the world, ultra running meets trail running, right? right? So, you know, but whereas I do feel like in the last 10 years, probably like the level of road and track ultras has like come up even further, right? So, yeah. 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 But um, yeah, so I went in it with like, I've got to be as best trained as possible because this is an absolute honor that I've got this like GB kit and I want to do as best as I can. And with my qualifying time, it wasn't, I, I don't think I've ever gone into a race. Well, maybe not until quite a few years later going, right, I'm really wanting to win. I was mm -hmm. like, I want to do my absolute best. Mm -hmm. And my time indicated that, well, maybe that'll put you up pretty high. Right? Really? Okay. So, so the qualifying yeah. time gave you an indication. Yeah. That... I'd run a 736 on the like gravel trail course. Mm -hmm. Right. So, which was, you know, it, it, again, in the last five years or so, World 100K times have got a bit faster. Mm -hmm. But at that point, it, that was faster than Kami Semek had won World right. 100K. Oh, okay. Only by mm. a few minutes, right? Um, so, yeah, it was definitely like, okay, you're up there. And then, again, another silly anecdote. Like, I remember going into the, like, opening ceremonies and I saw, like, our GB manager had this, like, list of, right, like, you know, so-and-so's qualified here or whatever, right? And, of course, I didn't know any British ultra runners because I mm -hmm. lived in Canada. So I'd qualified at an IAU Gold Label event, but it just said Ellie Greenwood wild card and they just go we don't know who she is but she's run this good time so sure let's have her on the team sure. so that was kind of a cool little motivation of like i'll i'll show you yeah, right that right. like okay wow. I've, I've earned this spot right and it totally. wasn't it wasn't a fluke in qualifying so, yeah, yeah totally and so then you you turn from wild card to world champion all of a sudden and this is sort of like what then launched you into a few years of like absolute like world-class performance and you kind of talk about this a little bit in your in your presentation then 2011 2012 where you were basically like a cheat code in the sport <laughs> where you basically were racing every month and winning basically every race it was when you've won your first western states you're racing really well at races like Comrades and Chuckanut and American River, which was, you know, important race at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sort of what, what was that like again for you then sort of like looking back um, on that 2011 and 2012 
seasons specifically, because like for me as somebody who like aspires to kind of like compete and perform at that level. And you I mean, often do, Dylan. Well, so but I mean, you? not not like that though, Ellie. Like you, you're acting, I mean, you're being modest and I appreciate that, but like very few people have ever like achieved what you did specifically in those two years, just like basically dominating the sport, winning ultra runner of the year. And again, you sort of like came from being a wild card only the year before. And you talk a bit in your presentation about your 2011 Western States and, um, you know, the, the, the sort of like theme of that is that like you came from behind, you fought through yeah, yeah. a race that was not ideal when you weren't feeling great. But, you know, for me watching you talk, it's like, well, shit, you still won the damn race. <laughs> you still won Western States. So like looking back now, it's been almost 10 years since 2011, since your first I know, it's Western ridiculous. States. Like what do you remember from... Those, those couple years where, um, again, you were just like racing nonstop and performing at such a high level. Like what were, what was your sort of relationship to yourself and to, to the sport at that time? Yeah. So I guess, I mean, obviously, and I wouldn't say it was specifically this race, but Hey, once you win world hundred K and mm. like you'd already mentioned, oh, and I've won Canadian death where, you know, you start going like okay, I guess, like, you start getting more confidence, right? And not necessarily overconfidence. Like, I, I yeah. never went into a race going, like, well, quite clearly I'm going to win this, unless it was some very low-key race with, like, very little competition, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I do feel that, like, back then, which makes it sound like a million years ago, but, yeah, people did race a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know I was particularly doing anything exceptional in the number of races no. that I was doing. Like, I think it was much more common that it was like, yeah. that whereas now, I think if you look at the top level, um, one, maybe people have learned from like injuries or burnout, or also maybe as well, like, you know, the depth of the competition is more that like, you can't go to a race mm -hmm. and not, and be, well, I'm a little tired from that race last month. So people are a bit more selective, mm -hmm. right? Um, but yeah, no, I definitely got into a, you know, okay, I, I'm now good at this. I'm now racing against, like we used to joke, right? But, you know, like um, you used to read Trail Runner magazine. I know people do still read Trail Runner magazine. That's yeah. awesome, right? But it, like <laughs> you didn't have all these resources, right? right? So it was suddenly like, oh, like I've actually raced some of these people yeah. and I've beaten them or I've been up there with them, right? Then, and of course that gives you confidence mm -hmm. rather than like, oh, well, I'm doing great in local races. Um, but as I talked about last night, I mean, you know, Western States being, you know, it was my first 100 miler. Um, so yeah, that was still a big deal. Like there's no way, I, I went into it, of course, hoping to do well, mm -hmm. right? But I was still very much at the stage of, okay, yeah, I've never run this distance before, mm -hmm. right? Um, but the thing I do also backtrack a bit, and like, I like to say, like, I ran my first ultra, I think it was 2005, right? Okay. So some people go like, oh, you sort of came out of nowhere, okay. right? And I'm like, no, there was quite a few years where I was doing it low-key, for fun, like, you know, and then I started to have successes, right? And I think, and I just say that to give the, like, the reality of how it was that, you know, sure, some people absolutely explode onto the scene, but I'd had a few years of like, you know, 
getting development, some development. Yeah. You know, you learn your fueling, you learn your pacing. So you right? start in 2005, you, you don't run your first 100 miler till 2011. Exactly, yeah. exactly, right? So I had quite a background there. Yeah. But yeah. It's interesting. And yeah, like a, a slower uh, and more intelligent, I think, development than a lot of people take because, I mean, for me, the 100 miler was like sort of what brought me into the sport. Like that's why I wanted to run trails and ultras to begin with. So, you know, I ran my first 100 mile race in my sort of like second year in the sport. And when I was like 23 years old or whatever, but it was because like, that's what motivated me. Like, that's what I wanted to do. So like you taking that, that other approach, I think is, is interesting. And I think I, yeah, like I was actually quite, cautious in a weird way mm. right because like okay I did a whole bunch of 50ks right I distinctly remember doing my first 50 miler and then a friend joking like well he wasn't he was like let's go do Canadian death race I'm like don't be ridiculous like that's like 75 miles right, right? Yeah. he's like yeah but we've done 50 and I'm like <laughs> well, oh no 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 step, yeah. right so I did go like really yeah that yeah. step by step mm. and even you can even say which is going a bit over the top and I didn't really do it on purpose well yeah before I did 100 miles I did Canadian death race yeah. that was 75, yeah. which most people don't, right? Like mm -hmm. they sort of, you know, so yeah, there was a fairly graduated so, approach. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. So to talk about Western states specifically, again, you, you talk a lot in your presentation about the 2011 race. Yeah. And you don't talk <laughs> at all about 2012, which I find just so interesting. But, you know, as we just mentioned, the theme of the presentation is you know overcoming setback dealing with injury and yeah. adversity and the 2011 example fits within that theme a little better than yes. 2012 does um so in 2011 again you sort of come from behind have sort of a really rough early part of the race ultimately battle back and erase a pretty huge deficit in the last whatever it was. Yeah, 10. I think I was about half an hour back at yeah. Forest Hill. Wow. Right? Yeah. yeah. And ultimately you won by like 20 minutes, which is crazy. <laughs> Especially yes. because you said you you passed Cami Semek. Well, and I would like to put an asterisk on that. Okay. So, okay, I did win. I don't know how much by, right? Yeah. Okay, so when I talked last night, and like I said, like we'll summarize for people listening, yeah. right? Like, at, um, yeah, about and people can check this and it might be wrong. About mile 96, I take the lead by yeah. passing Cami. About mile 97 and a half, I chase Bear up a tree because it's on yep. the trail, yep. right? But, and then I carry on and win. And I do like saying this will sound defensive, I would have won anyway. Then Cami comes along and also gets stopped by the bear and the bear cubs. Okay. So then she Nikki was... Kimball comes along oh, okay. and bumps into Cami. <laughs> then Tracy Garneau okay. comes along. So second, third, and fourth place woman are stock still <laughs> two miles from the finish trying to get rid of this yeah. bet. So I won by a margin. Yeah. I would have won anyway. Cami should have got under 18 hours. And I kind of say that because... Really? One, I think Cami is amazing, and two, if she had not got stopped by that bear, she'd and there's not many women that have okay. gone under eighteen. So, well, yeah. again, I think you're being overly modest, but <laughs> I'll I'll give it to you. But I'm looking at it right now, and you ran seventeen fifty five. You passed Cami at mile ninety six. She finished in eighteen seventeen. Oh, so maybe so she wouldn't. Have you done. were twenty three minutes ahead, and you passed her 
with four miles to go, even it with a, a little bit of a bear stop. Oh, That's I think Connie only got stopped by a minute yeah. or so. And yeah, and yeah, Cammy yeah. got stopped. I think she said right. something like 10 or 11. But, but yeah. yeah, wow. She and so she and Nikki, that was the year they had the sprint, the sprint finish on the track. track. And then Tracy Garneau was only five minutes behind them. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Well, so anyway, what I was getting at is that you know, you don't talk at all about 2012, which is like probably one of the greatest single performances in the history of our sport. And when you look back at those two races, and I guess, you know, just to elaborate on that, 2012 was the year that you broke the course record in an yeah. absolutely astounding time that still stands to this day and that nobody's come close to. So when you look back at those two races, like, does 2011 hold, like, more of a special place in your heart? Or how do they relate to each other? Is one one more special than the other? No. I mean, I would say 2012 is. <laughs> I hate to say it, Dylan. Come yeah, on. It's just a, the, like, the a course theme. record at Western States is kind of nice. No, obviously, yesterday, I, it was about perseverance, injury, yeah. you know. And, like I said, 2011 was, like, things going wrong. I'd never run 100 miles, making rookie mistakes, just mm -hmm. going, I don't know if I can do this. Whereas it came 2012 and it was like, well, hey, I ran a fast time, right? Like when I ran in 2011, that was the second fastest woman's time yeah. at that point. So I was like, okay, like quite clearly I can run 100 miles because yeah. I have done that last year. So no, but 2012 was one of those like... Just Nothing. perfect. Days. It was just perfect. Yeah. Not only like, with the weather, but with how you yeah, were feeling. Like, of course, the weather training. played into yeah. it. Like, the see, you know, I think that is kind of overrated. Obviously, it was because I ran that year too. Okay, and um, that was the year that Tim Olson broke yeah. the men's course yeah. record as well. And I mean, obviously, it being cold is more advantageous than it being super hot. But the first like 20, 25 miles were like actually pretty rainy and and cold oh. and muddy and like it wasn't easy conditions early no and this is what i say you know like yeah okay cool weather clearly helps right yeah. and i'm not the expert right. to say how much of my record was down to the weather and how yeah. much it's down to my fitness yeah, yeah. i don't know somebody right. else can decide that right because you can, Dylan, because you're somebody that analyzes the sport inside <laughs> out, right? Um, but no, I agree. Like some people said, oh, I had a terrible race because like my hands got so cold and I didn't eat. And I'm like, well, you adapt to the conditions. Right. Like I came into aid stations and said to volunteers, open two gels for me because I can't open them for me, yeah. right? You don't just go, oh, well, I can't eat. Yeah. And sorry, I'm so really defensive, right? Or like I came into one point and saw my crew and I said, can I have your gloves? And literally took them off Ken Michael's hands okay. because the gloves I had on were soaking wet, right? So I agree. The conditions were in theory better but you had to respond yeah. to them so when people say oh well i didn't do this and that because i didn't think the weather would be like mm -hmm. that i'm like well ultra running is being prepared for the unexpected yeah and if you didn't respond to that well right you kind of missed out yeah well yeah the point i was weather. sort of trying to make is that obviously both you and tim ran incredibly fast that day but it wasn't like the perfect day as it no, seemed that no. that like this past year in 2019 kind of was and so you know, that's why I think the 2012 race for you is just like so worth sort of touching on and talking about a bit because like it was so anomalous at the time. Oh, and yeah. it's still now, even as the sport has sort of like changed and evolved and gotten more competitive, like that record still 
has stood the test of time in a way that only like Matt Carpenter's record at Leadville and, uh, you know, Jim O'Brien at Angeles Christ. I mean, it's my point is that it's in that kind of a league where, you know, Tim's record that he set that year has now been lowered twice. Yeah. You know, granted by Jim (laughs) Walmsley, one of the greatest of all time already. And, um, and last year was again, sort of like in perfect conditions. And then Claire Gallagher, last year's champion on the women's race, I mean, she wasn't able to come even within a half hour of your time. So, no, which I agree with that. So, okay, so for the first time, well, no, in 2013, I was at Western States, like watching or whatever. And then I hadn't been back until last year and I Mm -hmm. went and I helped I run far, right? So I was out on the course a couple of times. And yeah, again, like the weather was was very favorable, right? Mm -hmm. But I think last year also shows, so, and this is not to, like, Claire won, right, in, right. in, in an extremely good time. But, of course, I'm going to mention Courtney, right? Yeah, yep. And I think it also goes to show you can have training in perfect conditions, everything. You also need a bit of luck. Of course. And Courtney had yeah. bad luck. Yeah. Because uh, I do think she could have broken my course record. Uh, and I'm pretty sure she was on pace to, mm-hmm. and then she had her hip issue. I think right? that, yeah. So... You can conjecture, oh, well, she would have run this or she would have, you know, you don't know, right? But it does go to show that I think in these things, like, you know, we all have those races, oh, but I prepared perfectly and something Mm -hmm. happens. Or sometimes you prepare perfectly and the stars align and it works out. So, yeah, yeah, could Courtney have got it? I I think she could well have done. Well, she seems to be sort of, yeah, like one of those generational type athletes so and and it's going to take somebody like that in order to to break the record but i don't know like it time moves so quickly now and it's already been eight years or almost eight years since you set that record and i just like you know people sort of like forget about things and me as somebody who like really enjoys the history and and things like that i just think it's fun to talk about with you (laughs) as Somebody who, you know, has been able to put that kind of a performance together, it must feel pretty amazing. So just to, I just want to run through a couple, I just want to sort of list your results from 2011 and at risk of embarrassing you, okay. uh, 2011 and 2012. Um, so basically, and I'll, I'll skip a few of them. So this is just sort of like the highlights. Like, so 2011, you won Chuck a Nut. American River 50, again, that's when it was like sort of a that more a, important race. It was a it was Montreal a, Ultra yeah, Cup, yeah. AKA so it was a what's gold, now the Golden, golden, golden Ticket. ticket yeah. right? And then you got fourth at Comrades in what I think was your first run there, yes. maybe. And then again, you win Western States on a tough day. You came second to Frosty at the Endurance Challenge Championship yeah, yeah, yeah. in San Francisco, where you guys both ran insanely fast there too. And then, okay, 2012, again, Chuck and American River, you win both of those. You get second at Comrades. Then you have the course record performance at Western States. Then a month later, you win White River. Again, that's when White River was a bit more kind of like important. Uh, Squamish, 50. Then you win CCC, again, like a world-class race. You rock the ultra race of championship or ultra race of champions again when it was sort of like a big important yeah, race in North America. Yeah. And then you had an astounding performance to finish the year at JFK 50. Again, sort of like one of those course records that yeah. hasn't really 
been nobody's really been close. I wish more people ran JFK. I right. love that race, and it's. I mean, but there's been an, a lot of talent that's run that race since, since 2012, yeah, yeah. and nobody's come really very close. So, like these two years are just like insane, and then. You know, 2013, it looks like you sort I of got had some, surprise, had some issues. Yeah. <laughs> so looking back, like at those two years, like not, first of all, like I, this is the cliche question is sort of like, well, what does it feel like to be that good? But like, what I want to know is sort of like, you know, what were the consequences of it, right? Like, was it worth it to sort of like, be at that level and racing so much. Again, this is a different era in the sport when people were, were doing that yeah, yeah, more yeah, frequently. Yeah, yeah. It was before, you know, the before sort people of, got sensible. Yeah, people got <laughs> sensible and like the overtraining syndrome thing. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, 2013, you got a stress fracture or whatever. Um, sort of like looking back at 2011 and 2012, would you have done anything differently or it was the it was just the sheer like joy of being so good worth it for you yeah i mean i loved every one of those races right so it would be hard to say like okay well take some of them out which ones are you going to pick right right um yeah i i don't regret it would i would i do it again or encourage other people to no <laughs> and again don't take this but like okay you give an example in there like okay white river like 50 miles four weeks after setting the course record right. at western states like do white river another year ellie yeah right it's a good illustration of how Ooh, the, the the sports change like squamish 50 yeah. i think i did the 50 miler that yeah. year i think <clears throat> like that was a, lo a local race to mm -hmm. me, right? And at that time, Squamish was, again, not quite as on the radar as it's maybe getting to be now, right? So again, that's like, you could do that another year, right? Or why don't you volunteer, yeah. right? So there's a few, you know, and I mean, you missed out on there, which obviously I know you did highlights, right? <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, oh, you did like Vancouver Marathon and London Marathon and yeah. these kind of things. So it is hard to take any of them out. Yeah, should I have... Would it be sensible to be a bit more selective? Of course it would. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because, you know, just to mention Jim Walmsley again, you know, I know he's kind of said something to the effect of, you know, I don't see myself really doing this for too long. Basically what I want to do is just see how good I can be in the short term to destroy every race that I can, break every course record that I can, and when my body starts to rebel, so be it, you know? Was but that- what's kind of interesting, okay, and so, so this will sound like, oh my goodness, it's never happened, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, had I not done some of those races, would I have done even better at others? Right. Do you see what I mean, yeah. right? Which sounds ridiculous, because mm -hmm. you're reading out like, well, come on, are you not happy you got a course record at JFK? Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, I would have gone faster if I hadn't done, and I might not have done, right? But there is a little bit of that too, right? Mm -hmm. So would you, you know, and I don't want to, because I, you know, I've met Jim very briefly, right? Yeah. To say hi, and he seems awesome. And I do feel he's toned things down yeah. a little in the last few years. But would you be better to say, right, these are the races, let's say over five years that I want to really target and spread them out, rather than these are the races I want to do well I'll jam pack them into two yeah. years and you might actually end up it would seem sensible that you would 
end up with better performances yeah. if you spread them out. Yeah, you can't spread them out over 10 years because then you start getting into like, I'm older yeah. or like these yeah. kind of issues, right? Um, so yeah, it's... Yeah, uh, well, yeah, and I don't want to speak for Jim obviously either, but you know, and I think I agree, you know, it seems like he maybe is kind of taking a longer term approach to it now, but you know, not, He's, it hasn't been racing outrageously as you kind of did in 2011, 2012, but well, his training is like absolutely ridiculous. Yes, so. yes. And I mean, but I'd also say, like, like, even at the time, I knew the amount I was racing, like, it wasn't a long term thing, right? Yeah. It was, and, and not to say, like, I was definitely not, I'm going to burn myself out, yeah. right? But it was, like, as I said last night, like, I also had a full time job, right? right? And That's it was like, crazy. this is just busy, yeah. right? Like, doing all this yeah. and working, right? So, yeah, I think, you know, had I not actually got an injury, it might just have been like, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I'll skip that one race. Uh -huh. And I might have by default, like, you know, yeah. brought it down a notch. So. Interesting. So I want to talk about comrades for a second. Um, I've never been there. And I've aside from sort of like watching the live feed every once in a while, um, you know, don't really have much of a relationship with, with the race. Can you kind of like describe the environment there and sort of what drew you to that event? Initially? Yeah. So it was interesting. I was just talking to someone this morning about this. So, um, I had heard of comrades years and years ago, right? Before, like before I'd ever run 50 miles. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh, that sounds cool. Africa, 50 miler. Yeah. And it's kind of weird because I'm sure people mentioned all these other races, right? I didn't even know if it was a road race. I'd never been to South Africa. And I was just like, ooh, 50 miles in Africa. That sounds cool. Because <laughs> I was like running local 50Ks, right? Anyway, then... I almost got a bit persuaded to do it by the team manager of the GB 100K team. And he was like, no, like, you don't understand what this event is. All right, okay. And so he kind of like, yeah, there's a few people going, you should go. And then I went and I like fell in love with it, Dylan, right? Like, and to give listeners a bit of a background, I mean, it's a race that's like over 90 years old. Um, there's 18,000 or so people that run it every year. You say you watch the live field because, yeah. yeah, the whole 12 hours are on national television. And because it's a road race, like people come out and cheer and support. So it is, and it also really gained. So it was a fairly small race for, you know, quite a number of years. Like after the initial few years, sure, it got a little bigger. Yeah. Where it really exploded was during apartheid uh, because the South Africans were not allowed to go and compete in athletics or any sport right. internationally. Uh, they were banned. Yeah. So, and South Africa is a very sporting nation. So all these events sprung up within, within the, the country. country, right? Because they could not go to the Olympics. They could not go to World 100K, all these kinds of things. There were a couple of exceptions over the years, but basically. So it really fostered this spirit like within the country. And that's when it became this big event, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, it's a, it, I'm not going to say it's like running New York Marathon or something like that, yeah. but it's, it's kind of the ultra running equivalent, yeah. right? Of just like, you know, like you don't even have to be a runner and people know about it. Yeah. Whereas even these days, most ultras, 
unless someone's at least vaguely a runner, yeah. they couldn't name an ultramarathon. They probably don't know what ultramarathoning is. Whereas you go to South Africa and it's like, oh yeah, comrades, yeah. right? And it's front page news and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, it's it's the atmosphere of the people and and the fact that it is a mass participation event. Like there's a 12 hour cutoff, right? Yeah. And I took like something over six hours, but there's people out there and again, that is the concept of ultra running. You can tow the start line with the best in the world and have the same experience. Yeah. And I think that creates the atmosphere. So, so what's it like to win that race? I mean, I mean, you said in our Vancouver presentation that you won like forty thousand dollars, which is you know ridiculous prize purse in our sport. Yeah. Although, in my opinion, totally commensurate with the level <laughs> of achievement. I mean, to me, it's Hourly like- wage is pretty bad, to be honest, in well, it, for the training you put true, so true. I'm not complaining. But it's so. sort of like, you know, the Ironman World Championship, I think the winner gets like $175,000. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think ultra running is getting to a point where, and I haven't seen these statistics, but where, you know, I mean, the level of an achievement of winning something like Comrades or winning something like UTMB or winning something like Western States is worth, I think, like, you know, $40,000. Yeah, because least. I think, it, and you mentioned races like UTMB, because then you start touching on, like, the wider population. Yeah. Right. If people go, oh, you've won UTMB. Right. Whereas... And again, this is not, oh, you've won American River? What's that? <laughs> yeah, right? Whereas, yeah. yes, I agree. There's some of these big events. Yeah. Um, but again, just to throw in a bit of history. So Bruce Fordyce, who yeah. won uh, Comrades nine times, zero prize money. That's so <laughs> yeah. funny. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's a good joker, right? Yeah, he's yeah. joked before, like, uh, so, uh, yeah, can I get it, like, afterwards, <laughs> right? Retroactive. You know, like, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, no, I mean, to win... And this is not to put any other race down. Okay, Western States, I won on my first attempt, yeah. right? I'm not saying it was easy. It wasn't. And I'd put a lot of years of running in to get there, right? Mm -hmm. But then I went and I won it, right? Uh, comrades, the first year was an up year because it changes direction each year. And I came fourth and was just like, this event is amazing, right? The second time I ran it, I didn't really go in thinking I would win it. Mm -hmm. But I came second. Second by 73 seconds. Behind one of those Russian twins. But yeah. Behind, yeah, Lena Nergaleva. And then the next year I got a stress fracture. Uh, that was so 13. That was 13. Yeah. So then 2014, it was like, you know, now I was really invested in this race, right? Yeah. Like, I love it. I've experienced it twice. I've, you know, missed out because of injury, you know, which is super disappointing. And do you think you can win it? And I used to joke and say, well, I just have to get 73 seconds faster and I yeah. think I can get 73 seconds faster. In fact, I run 10 minutes slower and won it, Dylan. <laughs> but anyway, this is the way it works, right? Um, was it an up year or a down year? Oh, it was a down year. Yeah. Like, I, I would have never put any money on me winning an up year. Really? Okay. I'm a downhill runner. And uh. Western States is a net downhill So going too. into the 14 race, were you thinking like, okay, this is, I need to win it this year or because next year is an up year or, or not necessarily I need to win it, but this is my best opportunity. Yes, yeah. definitely. Definitely. And like that year, for example, so 2013, I hadn't been able to run Western States due to the stress fracture. Yeah. Um, so then sure, in the spring of 2014, it's like, well, I could run 
they weren't called it, but a golden ticket and comrades and Western States. And I just went, no, do you know what? I've won Western States. For sure, I would love to go back, right? But I need to put all my eggs in one basket, right? Which, so I, I won't say learnt, but I was like, look, this is so important to me that, you know what, maybe I should prioritize here and I can't afford Mm -hmm. to do a golden ticket race before comrades because that might risk comrades. Uh, So I put all my eggs in one basket to like, yeah, because I'd got become so invested and, and I, I didn't go in saying I would win, but yeah, I thought I could run 73 seconds faster. Mm -hmm. So it was not 2012. I'd run 20 K like neck and neck with Elena, like side by side Dylan for 20 kilometers. So it's like, well, if I can do that, it just needs a bit of luck or a bit of something to change. Right. And there you go. So yeah. That's, it's so cool. Like you mentioned just putting all your eggs in the basket of comrades that year in 2014 and then to have it be successful. Like when you commit yourself to that race and then you actually have the victory, like that must be an incredible feeling of like validation of like the strategy that you put behind it. Can you give like an abridged version of what happened in that race? Because I mean, I I can't remember exactly, but I remember watching it and you like just absolutely charging at the end of the the race. Because it was sort of like the 2011 Western States where you took the lead very I mean, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say known for this, right? But anyway, okay, so yeah, I'll do the abridged version, yeah. exactly. So it was downhill year, starting in Peter Maritberg, finishing Durban, yeah. 89 kilometers, 55-ish miles, right? Um, yeah, so like all my eggs are in this basket. Yeah. I really want to win this. I think I can, all this kind of stuff. And yeah, I didn't feel too great early on, right? So I was like, oh my goodness. And as opposed to like, you know, Western States, we'd come in and like, oh, pause, sit down, your best friends who are your crew, we're here helping you no this is big south african road racing there's crew who you've never met in their life they're wearing Mm. a green ned bank t-shirt and that's the only reason you know their crew they're holding you a bottle it's stand in hand so they can't move you've got to grab it and you go right and it's a road race like there's none of this like oh Uh, just stop and chill out for a bit it's like no like you've got to keep going right so yeah anyway so it was a little rough early on and i I just wasn't feeling that wonderful Uh, but i was doing all right and uh, anyway fairly you know partway through i was in third right and okay the nergaleva twins who between them have won 11 times right they're out ahead of me all right okay what were you thinking ali were you really going to win Uh, whatever right okay and um I, I was walking a bunch and it was funny because like Ian Sharman came past yeah, right, me yeah. and he was walking and he was been giving me coaching advice at the time, right? Uh, anyway, so off Ian goes and then I'm like, okay, try get running again. And this was about, um, yeah, 20K to the finish, right? So 12, Half 13 marathon, miles, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And, um, but the one good thing I always had was like, well, I had this, like, look, the faster you run, the faster you get this over and done with, yeah. right? Like, there was never, I was never going to drop out, right? But it's like, look, if you just run faster, you'll get it done. You can say you gave your best on the day, like that sort of no regrets attitude, not like, well, could have, should have, whatever, like, just 
run as hard as you can yeah. right so yeah and then and then i started to get feedback like from the crowds like oh the russians are walking and i'm like yeah but i was walking like uh, around the corner you just didn't see me or so whatever, what was right? the gap at this point how far ahead were they i think with i want to say with about 13k so what's that about eight miles to go i was maybe eight minutes back of the lead <laughs> something amazing. like that and there it's was amazing. a net bank manager on the side and like patrick yelled out like ellie you're not going to get the twins but fourth is far enough back just hold on in there and oh, you'll wow. get third right so this is it right yeah. and then i came around the corner dylan yeah and they were both up on the road and i was like this is a joke uh-huh. like you've got to be joking me i look up on the road and there are the nergaleva twins and we're now mm, about two miles from the finish yeah. right and obviously i was picking i'd picked up the pace because yeah. i'd gained on them right? well i was watching and you were flying you're flying well and i would very rarely like yeah. i don't but okay so there's a 18 ish thousand people running yeah. it didn't by the finish line i was first woman and i was 50 something overall yeah in the final, uh, I think it was 8K, one guy ran faster than me. <laughs> so I was yeah. just like, come on, I've got to go for it. Like, like my fastest, again, sorry, kilometers. Yeah. My fastest kilometer of the day was kilometer 86, and okay. I ran a 333 kilometer. Wow. Like I was like bailing it down the hills, and I was just like, you've just got to go. And yeah, anyway, I went past Alessia. She doesn't look great, okay? 10 seconds later, I went past yeah. Elena. I'm not so sure, but I'm not looking around and I'm just like laser fo- because it was yeah. like, I've just got to kind of psych them out of like, I don't care that you're behind me. I feel amazing. And I'm yeah. like, oh my goodness, right? And um, yeah, and yeah, I, it was, so, uh, I led obviously. for like 10 minutes of the race. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right? It's amazing. And it's kind of like your example from, cool. from uh, Western States 2011. So I'm looking at it here. So you finished in 618. Second place was 623. So you won, you beat the first twin by five minutes. So if they were eight minutes ahead with 8K to go, you made up whatever that is, 13 minutes in the last 8K. Pretty incredible. And you beat Ian Sharman by <laughs> 25 yes. seconds. Yes, although, again, yeah. like, asterisk, was, Ian yeah, was doing was Western training. States a few weeks later. But it was really funny because, like, okay, I'd gone past the Twins. Yeah. I, the were, it was pretty thin by this point, yeah. right? Because the lead guys finished about an hour earlier. So there's probably about one runner per minute on yeah. the road, right? And yeah, then I see Ian up ahead. I'm like, oh, this is Get kind him. of this is kind of funny, but I'm like, this is not a time for jokes, yeah, right? Like yeah, I'm just yeah. like forward. Because people are like, oh, like, did you not see him or whatever? I'm like, no, no, I saw him. Like, I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, like, I hadn't won this race yet, but it yeah. was kind of amusing, right? And I think he was fairly surprised uh, as well. It's so. so cool. And you talk about the laser focus, and it sort of leads into what I want to talk about next, which is just kind of like the mentality of the athlete and particularly like being one of the best at what you do. Right. And I think one of the things that I've just been thinking a lot recently is about this with like the recent passing of Kobe Bryant, who is like obviously one of the best at his sport of all time and famous not only for his talent, but because he just worked his ass off and that he had that, like, what he called the Mamba mentality. Yeah. And I think that's something that separates 
you know, people like you from people like me. And you, you mentioned <laughs> last night something that I thought was really interesting. This is two modest people having a conversation. No, well, I mean, but realistically, Ellie, <laughs> like I haven't won comrades. I haven't won Western states. And I don't know how much of that is due to, you know, talent versus. So, so hold on, hold on. Okay, so, so, but you mentioned last night, which I thought was really interesting on this theme that there was, it was, something to the effect of like, I can't remember what you were talking about, but it was, was it about Ann Trayson's record? Oh yeah, yeah, And yeah. you said, you know, people thought it was untouchable. And I thought, you know, she's a woman, I'm a woman. I don't think she was on performance enhancing drugs. I'm not on performance enhancing drugs. I think I can beat the record. And I think that's yeah, okay, sort of like Okay, can we rephrase that second bit? Not that I think I can break the record, but people that say, sorry, because that sounds like- Sure, sure. But yeah, people say, oh, that's impossible. Well, if you say something's impossible, I agree, uh, you've now made it impossible for right. yourself, right? So, but this leads and, into my question yeah. though, about the mentality. Have you always had that like self-belief in yourself? No, and I would, argued in okay i think people that have too much self-belief that's a bad thing yeah. right because if you think oh i'm the best and i'm awesome and i've trained harder than everybody yeah. yeah well do you know what everybody else at the start lines well not everybody but the majority have trained hard as well right so don't think you're so special right so now obviously if you're super unconfident oh i'm not very good at this right then you're talking yourself out of like doing well mm -hmm. right so I think that balance of being confident enough of going, well, maybe I could do this, but also having that like, you know, like I never thought I was a particularly talented runner. I was just prepared to put in the hard work, mm -hmm. right? And because I thought, yeah, I really want to do this. And I think if I work really hard, I'll do it. But I didn't have so much confidence that I was like, well, I don't need to work hard. Of course. Do you see what I mean? Well, that's, that's right? sort of like how I framed and, um, it with Kobe, right? He had okay. the talent. Yeah. He had the work ethic. But then the third thing, critically, to be like at that top, top, top level is that belief in yourself that you that you can do well, it, right? And um this is a good time. Anyway, so uh, I was speaking to a coaching client the other day, mm -hmm. Lucia Buhler. She okay. says, hi, uh, you went past her at uh, Sean O'Brien. Oh, she cool. was the winning woman. Oh, cool. Yeah, Swiss woman. Lots of tattoos. If okay. You anyway, yeah. yeah. And she loved like a little interaction with her on the trail. <laughs> cool. Anyway, so I was saying, Lucia was kind of saying the same thing. She was like, do I just not have this like absolute like level yeah. and I did say to her I said I mean one thing and I don't know if you can learn this or if you know because I wouldn't say I'm super competitive at lots of other stuff like not competitive mentality right um but I said you know like I would go to races and if I thought I could get the course record it was like yeah well I want to make that course record as hard as possible yeah. right rather than just some people might go oh, I want to win or I come top 10, right? Whereas I'll give an example, and this is a deviation, right? So I went to uh, Comrade in 2015, where I had interrupted injury. I'd come off my bike and broken my hand and had head and surgery and whatever. So I went to Comrade in 2015 thinking, well, I'm not going to do great. So do you know what? I did not do great. Uh. Then later that year, I went to Tomplier, um, like 75K race in France. Yep. And I went, do you know what? I'm not entirely sure how fit I am. If you're fifth, 
I want to try get fourth. Yeah. If I want fourth, I want to try get third. Yeah. Right. And it's not being unhappy with where you're at, but it's going, can I go that extra mm. little like half percent or one percent? And that might be enough. Right. That is so cool and interesting. Cause I, yeah. I it's yeah, it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. And I think it really is one of those things that separates the the good athletes from like the truly great athletes. And like, you know, again, to go back to Jim Walmsley, he sort of has that sort of swagger too, where, you know, clearly he's got the great talent. He works his ass off in training, but like he sort of has that self-belief and that like risk-taking ability, like maybe to a degree that you don't- He's you know, way more of a risk-taker yeah, than not to I, yes. you guys. No, no, like, no, yeah. I just think that- Again, like just thinking about this Mamba mentality thing, I, I think is is interesting. Um, you know, as somebody who aspires and to, having, that's <laughs> to run faster. Well, and having that slightly like, you know, okay, yeah. going back to comrades in 2014, it yeah. was like I was well aware, like when I took the lead, I was like, this is now or never. Yeah. You, and it turns out, uh, even at the time, I was like, you may never be in this situation again. Well, no, I haven't been. Right. Yeah, but, huh. you know, having that, like, it's not next week. It's what, it's like now, yeah. right? And I think Jim has that, right? Of like, you know, mm. okay, I'm going for it today, yeah. right? Not, And I do say this again to like coaching clients, wow. right? Like if you've got another race in a month or whatever, do not think about that during your other yeah. race because then you're going, Oh, well, I'll take it a little easier. Maybe I'll back off. No, no, just like forget all of that. Yeah. Be in this bubble, right? And I do say like Western States to me was a bubble, right? Of like, you know, nothing existed. You said yesterday it was interesting. Like when you're racing, you find it like helpful to think about like people that loved you yeah. and supported you. And I was like, that was the last thing I wanted. Uh, I wanted to be on that Western States trail with my crew, with the people that are there on the day. The rest of the world did not exist. Uh, right. Yeah. Wow. Now, and that might not work for other people. Uh, right. But if you started saying to me, oh, so I think about my family in the UK. Whoa, that's a totally different like <laughs> planet to right wow. now. So yeah, that's sort of if you have a now or never, because I think too many people go, oh well, there's always the next race. Oh. But then at the next race, you go, oh well, there's always the next race. Well, now you're just not like just go for it sometimes. Wow, that's Without a being, really cool. Yeah, I'm not as that's a really ambitious cool, as Jim. Uh, takeaway for the folks that will listen <laughs> to this. But now that we've sort of like established how amazing your career's been. Obviously Was. it hasn't been easy recently. And, you know, you again, talk about this a lot in your presentation, which is great. And I guess, you know, to just kind of like, in the interest of time, wanting you to kind of just sort of touch on the human level of like what it's like to be at that top point and then sort of like have it sort of taken from you in a way that was like really sudden because the name of your presentation, yeah. if you don't mind me <laughs> saying, <laughs> is the title of your presentation is There Is No Comeback. And when I saw that the first time, I was like, whoa, like that is kind of intense. Like it's a little more intense than like the subject or like the content of yeah, the presentation. Yeah, I know. I maybe should have edited the title. No, I thought, but I think it's like a, a revealing thing, right? So like, first of all, does that, does the title come from like an internal frustration of answering that question of like, oh, and Ellie, when is And that's just when what I was comeback? going to say, yeah. right? I, 
And that's when I remind people, they go like, oh, so you can come back and do this, whatever. I'm like, it was 2012 when I ran wrestling. Yeah. They go, oh, that's quite a long time ago. Yeah. I'm like, I know. And then they start to go, oh, okay, I get it, right? Mm. So obviously, yeah, okay, brief summary, 2016, my leg went a bit weird. Just thought, no, the thing was, it was sudden, but it wasn't severe, Dylan, yeah. right? And I'll give a straight, well, but even, and okay, Dave Mackey, yeah. right, with his uh, leg incident, yeah. let's just call it, right? Yeah. I mean, again, even when his accident first happened, he obviously thought, I'll be back running in three or four months, yeah. right? He didn't think I'm going to lose a leg, mm. right? Now, okay, I guess, I don't know the exact timeline, but it soon came like, okay, this is actually a lot more serious, right? right? Whereas... With my injury, it was just like, oh, my leg's gone a bit weird. And like, I've got this pain in my groin and oh, that's bizarre, right? Oh, I thought like, okay, I'm really disappointed. I can't run comrades. Oh, well, oh, well. And it's just been drawn out, right? So it, it's a very, like I said, it was sudden of like, oh, goodness, I can't run an ultra next month. And then it was like, oh, but I'll run the one in four months. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not going to run that one. Oh, well, what's next year? Oh, oh, goodness. Maybe oh, it's January now. My training's still not going so well. You know, so yeah. it was kind of like this rolling ball, yeah. right? Which, so it wasn't like an acute thing where you knew it was going to take a year. No, it, was just it wasn't like, like, I don't know, oh. even like, oh, goodness, I... Yeah. tore an ACL or yeah. a really bad bone break and oh we don't know we've got to put pins in you and this might not work mm. or whatever it was like oh well this is some you know seemingly relatively minor injury that just kept like rumbling along and mm. yeah is still limiting my running so which I think mentally that's a lot easier to deal with than somebody who has some, you know, or like Hilary Allen, right. right? You know, where obviously when she had that fall and like, you know, got bashed around yeah. like head to toe, yeah. right? I'm sure, well, I shouldn't, again, but you've interviewed her. People can yeah. listen to her interview. I'm afraid I haven't listened yet. Of like, I'm sure there was points where fairly soon she was probably like, I don't know I can ever run again, mm -hmm. right? Whereas I've never had that, right? It's been this just gradual realization that hmm, maybe I'm not going back to Western States, uh, right? Or, or these kind of, you know, conclusions, so. Well, yeah, I don't know. To me, it that also seems pretty like hard and painful, especially because as you said, it was, it was sudden, but like basically, I mean, the story you give is that you were, you smashed your, a workout with your local yeah, running yeah, yeah. team in Vancouver. And then it was ran, a few days later, I went out for a run. Yeah. Dylan. yeah. And it just hasn't been the same since. No. Wow. No. And then I've also been slightly, despite running, you know, an awful lot less, mm -hmm. right. Just chasing like aches and pains yeah. all over the place. Right. Which um, I mean, the one thing I do like to say, and again, I don't want to be too defensive, like I don't have overtraining or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I've got bags of energy. And I just say that because you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like probably too much. Um, but, uh, you know, again, unfortunately, other people have suffered from that. I'm like, no, 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 that, that's not me. But it's just these physical like, you know, and it's a little perplexing yeah. how like, how can I start having some random ache and pain? Like, oh, my hip hurts. And I'm running not right. even a quarter of what I used huh. to run. Yeah. Like, which is, and I get it. Like I said, even at the time, I was like, the amount I'm running was not sustainable, right? But it's like, yeah, but I would have thought three quarters of that or two thirds. And of course, we all get a bit older, but it's just, it's a little bit strange how just, yeah. I 
my body just doesn't seem to handle yeah. running too much anymore. So, and it's, and it also seems just so frustrating the sort of like mysteriousness of it too. Yeah, yeah. Which um, positive mindset? Yeah. Um, so I'm good friends with uh, Dr. Anne Marie Madden, yeah. who came second at North Face Fifty Miler and, and second and, at Terrawera. Yeah, shout out yeah, to yeah, 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 yeah. Shout out to Anne Marie because we all love her. Yeah. Um, at least she's look, and it's it's very true. She's a doctor as well. She's very brainy. Yes. Um, she says. Well, at least you haven't found out you've got something terrible, yeah. which is a valid point, yeah. right? Like, but equally, on the other hand, it's frustrating because people do say, so what's wrong? And I go, I don't know. And they look at me like I'm an idiot, yeah. Dylan, right? And I'm like, no, like this is, yeah. yeah. As my, my sports med doctor said about two years ago, like welcome to the art of medicine that is yeah. not a science. So at yeah. the risk of asking you kind of like an intense cliche question, but like, would you trade some of that insane success that you had early or eight, seven, eight years ago in order to have a normal relationship with running now? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So the only reason I ever hesitate with that question is I now work full time as a running coach. And yeah. how did I get into that? Because of my running successes. Yeah. And I absolutely like love coaching, right? So it's hard to say like, oh, I'd have accepted being a, like a middle of the pack runner all the time. Cause then I'd like, but then I wouldn't have become a coach. And that would have been like a big thing uh, that I wouldn't have experienced. Yeah. But in terms of my own personal running, like you can have all those records back, really? Dylan, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that sounds like I don't care about them. Like I do, right? Uh -huh. um, but, and yeah, no major achievements and things that I was like very, mm -hmm you know, happy to have and whatever, right? And yeah, I mean, maybe I could keep one or two. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have like halfway, right? Yeah. But yeah, we could get well, rid of the, you know, the excess yeah. races. Well, I truly, truly hope that eventually you get to the bottom of this and at least you can have a normal, consistent even, relationship yeah. with it. Because yeah, it no, is I just like, as somebody who's dealt with, you know, only a little bit of injury, like, it's freaking hard, man. And especially, I imagine it gets easier after a few years of, you know, you sort of start letting go a little bit. But, man, like, I don't know. It's, it's not an easy thing. And for, you know, your health and wellness and just for the yeah, enjoyment no, it would of it. Be, it would just, be fun to like yeah. get out on the trails and just have fun. Yeah. And I mean, no. I will say, I say that, but I have also still got that competitive yeah, mindset. And so you go, oh, this is going to be like yeah. really hard. But uh, yeah, no, yeah. it would, it would definitely be nice too. And uh, time will tell, yeah. right? So, yeah. so last thing I want to talk about is the coaching that you just oh, mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. So you are part of the Charmin Ultra team. And um, you, of course, just said that it's now like your your full time yeah. job. Before you were in the travel industry, yeah. when, when did it sort of become? When did you decide to like leave that career behind and, and be a coach full time? Uh, that was okay, I'll tell the honest story. Okay. <laughs> so uh, just because it's 
Well, it's amusing in retrospect. Okay, so I'd work, that's how I first, with the travel job, that's how I first came over to Canada. I've worked in Banff, I've worked in Jasper, yeah. worked in Vancouver, ended up in Vancouver. Um, so I'd worked for the company for 13 years. And 2014, I went over to South Africa. Obviously, you can go via the UK, yeah. right? So I went over to South Africa, ran one comrades on the Sunday. Um, the Monday, went to the awards ceremony, so cool. Got on a flight, got back to the UK. The U Our office was based in the UK for the travel company. Said, can you pop into the office? <sighs> really, in the middle of my vacation? Sure, no problem. Went in and uh, got let go from my job. Oh, so within 36 hours of winning comrades, I lost my job. Well, luckily but, you but, made $40,000. I, <laughs> I did not lose it straight away, so they gave me a good amount of warning. It was not uh, like an... Uber surprise. Anyway, yeah, so yeah, this yeah. is the long backstory. Yeah. So then, okay, I had a few months of like, okay, like I was still working for the travel company. They gave me a long period. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, so I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And I had thought about coaching before and I'd got to the point, like I, I enjoyed working in the travel industry. I wasn't like passionate about it. So I was like, I don't know, like, you know, but it was like, well, it kind of works with running. And so fine, I'll stick at it. Right. Um, so yeah, I thought about coaching and then I was like, well, look, I don't have a job, so I'm not risking anything, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm not giving away a full-time job that I can walk back to. So, um, yeah, I got on board with Ian and like, you know, phased it in over a little while. Right. And, you know, learned the ropes and that kind of stuff. Cause I would say just cause you're a, you know, a good runner doesn't mean to say you're going yeah. to be a good coach. Right. Um, so yeah. And it was a perfect setup to, you know, one of the things I like about Sharma Notre, there's now quite a few of us working together, right. Is we've got this team approach, yeah. right? Like, sure. We all coach individual athletes, but you know, okay. Liza Howard, like, you know, lives in Texas and she's a mom. So, okay. If somebody asks me, you know, like I've got a coaching client right now, who's got like a six month old baby. Mm -hmm. If there's a particular concern, I'll be like, right, let's, you know, contact Liza. Cause she's got, got you know, more experience on that. And so sure. that's the nice thing. And, and yet yeah, coming into it, like as a new coach, like I learned a lot from Ian, um, you know, so it was great. And so do you tackle it with kind of the same intensity and, and work <laughs> ethic that you did with your with your training? And does it bring you a similar feeling of whatever motivation, achievement? Yeah, it was funny. So I met with a coaching client this morning, which was like really nice when yeah. you get to pe meet people in person, Connection, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, one, I, you know, I say I don't live vicariously through my coaching clients. Mm -hmm. But I did say to Leanne, I was like, like, I have no problem talking running with all my coaching clients because I am invested in yeah, it, yeah. right? I'll be honest, Dylan, I don't want to hear about your run this morning, right? Because I have no investment in your running. Yeah, okay. I'm super pumped when you do well at a race. I will say congrats. I'm probably not going to watch all the videos and everything, right? So it's a weird kind of thing. Like I don't take offense. No, no, and it's not just you, don't worry, right? Uh, but so there's that kind of level. Whereas with the coaching clients, it's like, no, I've helped them get there. Sure, yeah. they've actually done the hard work, right? But it's a relationship that I've involved in. And so, and it's cool. And I mean, I will say, like, I do not expect my coaching clients to run the amount I did or yeah. race the amount I did. Like, and that's one of the things I love about it is like, it's the people sort of dealing with people and the personalities and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's all great. You can open, there are now some excellent books, right? And they are very good books. Yeah. So I'm not saying that sarcastically, right? Of a training plan. But if you gave half of those to my coaching clients, they don't know where to start, yeah. right? 
And then they go, oh, but wait a minute, I've got this two-week work trip in the middle and I can't do those two weeks yeah. of training. Or, oh, partway through, oh, by the way, my husband's gone away for a month, so I've got the kids. And, you know, so yeah. what I love is, like, you know, it's not just like cookie cutter. Like, it's all it's well- It's the relationship. It's, it's the relationship the, yeah. and adapting what in theory is on mm. paper perfect training and going, how do we make that perfect training still absolutely good enough that it'll get you yeah. your goals out of your running but also fit in like around your life and your you know your ability whether that's time or like personal experience to train so yeah cool well ellie it's been an honor to share the stage with you a couple of times yeah, over the last couple of months and it's to hang out good. I appreciate you sitting down with us. The sun has come out here know, in it's Seattle. Beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I hope you enjoyed the sun on your run this morning. <laughs> I won't tell you about I hope it. I it was pouring with rain. No, I'm joking. No, thank you so much. No, and, uh, I love it. listening to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Ellie. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. And Thanks. hopefully we'll do it again soon. Sounds good. Until next time. Okay, another one in the books. Thanks so much to Ellie. I really loved that one. I thought it was really fun, and I hope you guys did too. If you're interested in checking Ellie out further, please do follow her on Instagram, or if you're interested in potential coaching, not sure her availability, but reach out to the good people at Charmin Ultra, where Ellie is a full-time coach of ultra runners. Thank you guys again for checking in. It's a pleasure to have your audience and we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks. <laughs>